You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Gracious God, we come to you now to sit under your word and learn your truths that have stood against the testing of time from generation to generations. Open our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit so that we would leave here today transformed from the inside out. In the name of Christ, amen. Leaders matter. Leaders matter. Around 145 AD, a man named Tertullian was born. Tertullian was an important early Christian theologian and author of Latin theological phrases that were significant in the West even to this day. For example, the word Trinity, he was one of the OGs that thought of that, right? He brought that idea um, to the conversation. He helped establish Latin rather than Greek as ecclesiastical language in the West, His nickname back in the day would therefore become the father of Latin Christianity. Imagine having that kind of rep on your resume. As an apologist, he argued the toleration of Christianity and denounced Gnosticism. He also defended the church against the persecutions that was common around Rome society. As a theologian, he addressed doctrines like baptism, Christology, and as we've spoken, the initial Trinitarian understanding of God. Around 130 AD, a man named Basil of Caesarea, a.k.a. Saint Basil the Great, was born. He was one of the Cappadocian fathers and contributed to the development of many orthodox doctrines of the Trinity while fighting against Christological heresies. Basil was known as a generous and compassionate man who gave much of his time and resources caring caring for the poor, those in pain, and those trapped in habitual sins and dark sins like prostitution and thievery. On 1517, October 31st, a German theologian, pastor, and leading reformer nails 95 theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, which questioned the sales of indulgence, provoked the indignation of the Roman Catholic Church, and sparked the Protestant Reformation. You may know him as Martin Luther. His many contributions include German translation of the Bible and commentaries on many books of Scripture. Luther was best known for his emphasis on the authority and clarity of Scripture, justification by faith alone, the priesthood of all believers, his push for the only two sacraments of baptism and communion, and he took a courageous stance against doctrinal errors, which almost gets him killed time and time again. In March 1536, a Swiss reformer, theologian, pastor known as John Calvin, how could we not talk about John Calvin, right? Um, Writes his first edition of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is still studied intensely today. J.I. Packer wrote, it is doubtful whether any other theologian has ever played so significant a part in world history. Charles Spurgeon, a.k.a. Prince of Preachers, once again, crazy nicknames, right? 
The longer I live, he says, the clearer does it appear that John Calvin's system of theology is the nearest to perfection. Said nearest. Said nearest. <laughs> His leadership of the Virginian church in Geneva helped transform it to be an exemplary Protestant city. In the 18th century, this is the last one, hang in there, the Great Awakening occurred which is a series of revivals that would alter the religious climate of colonial America. This led to an increase of people making professions of their faith, a resurgence in Calvinism, a deepening of piety, and a greater concern for education, which contributed significantly to the American Revolution. This was only possible because Christian leaders such as George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards was around. Friends, leaders matter, because throughout church history, when, when, when men and women of God humble themselves to be who they're meant to be and submit themselves to godly submission to the will of the Father, brings great change and can influence a multitude of people. This has been true for the wider church throughout history, and this is also true, surprisingly, for the local church, such as us here at Crossing Crown. So it's important to know who our leaders are, right? If I were to ask you, who's the pastor here? I hope you all know. Um, because um, it is a must that we know who we're following. Because if it's true that a leader can have a massive impact on an individual's life, then that means they can be one of the greatest guide, greatest encouragement, greatest servant to you in your faith. But on the flip side, if they're not appropriate for ministry, if they're not appropriate to care for you, they can generate a multitude of pains, sorrows, and scars. And today in our passage, Paul is going to tell us what, what, what kind of leaders should we have in the church. In particular, we're going to be visiting two offices today, the office of overseers and the office of deacons. I wonder if this thought has ever crossed your mind. What makes a good church leader? What makes you follow certain leaders over others? Another way to put it, if hypothetically, right, our dear beloved Pastor Adam disappeared. I didn't say dies, disappeared, because dies a bit, that's a bit too much, right? He disappeared, and, and you yourself were the one in charge to find a new pastor for this church. What would you be looking for? I wonder what the job advertisement would be. Would it look something like this? I quickly Googled it. These are some of the things I can... I, I blanked out the church's name, where they're from. and This one is offline now. Applications closed on 21st of Feb, which was Friday. This church is looking for a part-time ministry agent. Ooh. <laughs> this church is nestled... Nestled, I thought it was nested... Um, on the old highway amid a commercial precincts and opposite a high school. They are seeking a dynamic leader prepared to work hard. You've always got to put that in right? Work hard with a passion to realize spiritual growth, and, spiritual growth and community engagement. They are open to hear from ministers, they are open to hear from ministers of the word, which is the church, um, deacons and pastors who feels that this is their calling. This is a permanent part-time 0.6 role, in case you're wondering, and applicants are encouraged to seek a profile. Please contact Reverend Da and or Reverend Da. Um, the two reverends are there. So do you think you'd produce something like this? 
Or would you produce something like that? It says job description. Senior pastor wanted. We are growing independent Baptist church in a growing town of approximately 38,000 in America. We have a diverse congregation, many new believers, and many who have been Christians for over 30 years. We are a very friendly church, I guess, with a weekly arrangement of about 150. I, our, our ideal candidate, so here's, here's where it gets interesting, would be for you to have seven to ten years of experience as a senior pastor with a minimum of a bachelor's degree from a conservative Bible college or seminary. However, as a search committee, we are open to God's leading and will not discount any who strongly feel the Lord is leading them to this church. Our key to growth has been equipping the congregation and implementing a strong push for evangelism, and we would expect any candidate to feel the same. Now, is that something you'd put on seek.com if you're in charge to find a new head pastor of Crossing Crown? I wonder what you would include. Like, if you're brutally honest, like no one's going to ask you, you're just left alone, you can pick anyone you want. If you're brutally honest, what would you add? Do have to be smart, maybe? Been intelligent? Maybe he's got to translate each passage from the original Greek and Hebrew, right? Maybe he's not boring, right? Have a bit of personality. Um, a great storyteller. Maybe attractive, you know, we'll deal with that later. But um, a certain personality type on the Myers-Bridge test, maybe. Like, I don't know what the categories are, but apparently it's a big thing now, so... Um, and if we're completely honest, maybe we would secretly hope for things like what their background is, where they're from. Do they kind of get me, right? What are we looking for? Well, let's dive into our text today and see what Paul has to say to Timothy this afternoon. So section one, we are going to talk about overseers, elders, and pastors. If you have your Bibles open, please keep them open. We'll be spending most of our time here. Overseers, elders, and pastors. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. It says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might be conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into the disgrace and the devil's trap. Now, it's important to note here that in the New Testament, Paul uses the word elder, overseer, and pastor interchangeably when he addresses this office. In the book of Titus, Paul outlines these same qualifications once again to Titus so that he may appoint in Crete a presbyteros. You don't have to remember that, but presbyteros, right? which translate to elder. Here in Timothy, Paul uses the word episkopos. Bear with me. Which translates to elder. 
Here in Timothy, Paul uses this word to translate to overseer. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul addresses these men as poimen, which translates to shepherd, or we would know as pastors. This is once again echoed in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, where Peter writes to the church, For you are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Those are the same words used there. And here we just read what qualifications are required for someone to take up this office of overseer. Paul tells us to find someone that is above reproach. Cool. The husband of one wife. Right. Find someone that doesn't lash out when things go wrong. Find someone that's hospitable. Someone that loves people. He better not get smashed on the weekends. He better not love money. I'm sure you might be picking up, but Paul seems to care about the person's character and not credentials, with the exception of the ability to teach and maybe his ability to lead his family, if you want to include that. And if you're like me, you're reading this and you're going, man, it doesn't seem that different from what we expect from the average Christian average Christian. This, I mean, this sounds like any other passage where Paul tells the church to pursue holiness and these character traits, right? Surely this can be found in Ephesians chapter 4. This can be found in Galatians chapter 5, even in Romans chapter 12, just to mention a few. Isn't this basic Christianity 101 noon? Isn't this like level one stuff, bro? And I'm confident that Paul would tell you, I think you're right. And what better place to start to lay out the qualifications of an elder than a godly Christian man who firstly loves his wife, verse 2, and his family, verse 4, if he has one. It's hard to love something you don't have, right? Loves the church, that's, that's the real important one, verse 5, how we take care of God's church, right? And loves those outside the church, verse 7. If an elder is meant to shepherd God's people, leading them by example, teaching them and serving them so that they can yield the spiritual fruit of maturity, that is their holiness, how do you expect someone to do this if they themselves can't live that out themselves? For the true mark of, a, a true mark of Christian maturity isn't necessarily how much you know, how many books you've read. It isn't necessarily how much you've done but how much you've been transformed by the gospel and as we respond and how we humbly respond to God's design on how we should live. How could anyone lead another if they themselves haven't been transformed by the gospel? How are they to be an example of godliness if they themselves are not? Fun fact about me, I use that word fun loosely here. I don't know how to swim, right? Who else doesn't know how to swim? Thank you. I don't feel alone. Now, <laughs> so, so if you ever see me at the beach and you see me freaking out when the low tide suddenly becomes high tide, you'll know why. And we're in the middle of nowhere and I'm going, guys, we should head back. I see the sea levels rising, right? We should go, we should go, we should go now, right? So that's why that's there. Um, and you know what would be crazy? If I was in charge to teach you how to swim, you know what that would look like? 
two flopping pancakes on the water, right? That's, that's all we'll do, because I'll just be like, eh, and then you'll be like, eh, and then we'll be both like, eh, right? And you wouldn't want someone like me to teach you how to swim. It makes sense to get someone that can swim to teach you how to swim. If an elder is meant to shepherd God's people, leading them by example, teaching and serving them, likewise, with elders and elders, they should be the experienced swimmers of our faith. That's the best I could do there. And the way we can see this is through their character, through their pursuit and seriousness of holiness. Is he respectable? Even with those outside of the church family, does he have a good reputation among them? When a non-Christian speaks about him, do they say, man, he's a jerk? Or do they say, man, the whole Jesus stuff, I don't agree. But he's a good guy. He's a good guy. These are the things we are to look out for. This is the standard we are to uphold to. And these are the role models of our faith we should be following, which we'll get into a little bit later. These standards are placed upon overseers, elders, and pastors, are not so much different from those of deacons. So let's read from verse 8. If you've got your Bibles open, from verse 8, I'm going to read about deacons. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word deacon here comes from a Greek word. All you Greek nerds are going to love this, right? Daikonio. Maybe you didn't like that. Which literally translates through the dirt. Yeah, that's right. A deacon is through the dirt. It usually is referred to as a servant, an attendant or waiter, one that ministers or serves another. And you probably saw some overlap in those qualifications, didn't you? There was a heavy emphasis on character once again and the conduct of their lives. But as similar as these two offices and figures may be, there are a few significant differences that we need to address. The first difference between the two is how they actually serve. Both are called to serve, but the ways in which they serve are different. Unlike elders, deacons must, they, they don't have to teach. They don't have to have that ability. The same Greek word used for deacons is found in Acts chapter 6, where we get a picture of what this life with overseers, deacons, and the church would look like. Um, it will be up on the screen, so you don't have to flick there. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in numbers, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution. Real issue, right? The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would be not right for us to give up preaching the word of God 
to wait on tables. And that's where you find that same word, daikonio. Brothers and sisters, verse 3, select from amongst you seven men of God with good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. So it's not just anybody. Verse 4, but we, the elders, pastors, and overseers, will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Here we see the primary way the elder serves and cares for the church is through the ministry of the word and prayer. Elders and pastors are to preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. This is why for the elder, being able to teach is a must. They must first be able to understand the word of God, which flows out in their lives. For one who understands the gospel will be changed by it. Elders must be able to communicate it to their congregation, to their people that they care about, so that they themselves can also apply it. This is what it means to be able to teach. For some, they know a lot, but they don't know how to explain it. For others, they can talk for hours. Not sure about what, but they can talk for hours. But to be able to teach, you need both. So this means... The elders, by ministering through the word and prayer, have a greater focus over the congregational spiritual needs, while the deacons have the responsibility of serving the physical and practical needs of the church. Let me say that again. This means the elders have a greater focus over the congregational spiritual needs, while the deacons have a greater responsibility over the physical and practical needs of the church. This is why deacons, the deacons here are cross and crown. Our first priority is to enable church life to happen. This may be through the organization of Sunday worship. This could be organizing BLTs. Addressing administration needs in the church. Not your personal like, admin needs, but like, you know, the, you know what I mean? Do your own admin. This is why we serve you communion later today. This is why we pray for you. This is why we have meetings to discuss church matters. We do everything that we can to free up the elders of this church. Should we have one so far, Adam? Thank you. To focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And likewise with elders, we both serve you by being a role model of godliness and what this looks like by the grace of God and his spirit. So the first difference between overseers and deacons is how they serve. The second difference between overseers and deacons is that while the office of overseer, elder, and pastor is reserved for godly men, the office of deacons is reserved for godly men and women. In verse 11, um, it uses the word wives. But here it can also be translated to women. I think the NIV translation is more helpful. It says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperament and trustworthy in everything. Paul also uses this word deacon elsewhere in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I commend to you Sister Phoebe. I don't know why I said that so loud. Sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in, I can't say this very well, Centuria. 
Rhea. The word servant here is the same word used in our passage in Timothy when addressing deacons. He says, a servant. So we can see that the office of deaconship is open not just to any man or woman, but reserved for godly men and women who have proved themselves to be genuine and blameless. Likewise, the office of eldership isn't for any man who demands it. If any man comes in here and goes, I want to be an elder, make me an elder, then tell me, tell Adam, we'll deal with him. Don't need to submit to that guy. But it isn't just for any, any man, but for godly men who submits themselves under the headship of Christ. But Noon, why, why, why is this? Why, why only men for eldership? Well, friends, the reason behind this is from what we've learned from Pastor Adam last week. In regards to God's good created order in how the life of the Christian household looks. For the family of God in the household is meant to parallel the family of God in the wider church that we know as us. Just as Christ is head over the man or husband, and as godly men lead their lives, lead their wives, sorry, to serve them in prayerfulness and sacrificial love, so with God's church family, Christ is the head over elders, overseers, and pastors as they are to serve and lead sacrificially in love. If you want to know more about this, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to Adam's sermon last week. It's on Spotify, and it's called A Family Designed by God. But God wants godly men to lead his, church, his family by teaching his word. Not every man, but godly men who are able to teach and lead their family in sacrificial love. And today we recognize pastors, elders, and overseers likewise God wants them to be godly men who will lead this family in sacrificial love. So there we have it. We have a picture of what an elder looks like. We have a picture of what a deacon looks like. And at the start of the sermon, I asked you all, what makes a good church leader? What makes you follow certain leaders over others? If desired, what kind of leader do you want to be? Who would you want to imitate? I wonder if your opinion has changed at all. Friends, the life of discipleship is a life of imitation. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a phrase that Paul uses. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. To the Christian leaders, are you aware that those in the church today are looking to you as an example? on what it means to be godly, on what's acceptable, what is good and pure. Later in chapter 4, Paul tells leaders that we are to set an example for all believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. And he tells us to pay close attention to your life and teachings. Christian leaders, you have a massive responsibility.
Are you demonstrating these things in the way you lead your Bible studies? How you lead your ministry teams? From the way you talk to everyone? From how you care for them? What does your priorities in life outside of this time say? How you act when you're not around, when no one's around? Does it reflect what our shepherd Christ Jesus would value? And to those who aren't leaders, the office of eldership and deaconship probably never crossed your mind when you're a kid. You weren't like, I want to be an elder, I want to be a deacon. Like that probably never happened. Um, if it has, like, let, let's chat. Like, as in, like, chat with Adam. Don't chat. You can chat to me as well, but chat, chat to Pastor Adam. Like, but, but, but even though you might never see yourselves to be these things, they're both good things to aspire to. In verse one, um, Paul told us, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. And in verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is Christ Jesus. Do you value these things? Do you follow leaders that demonstrate these characteristics through their lives and conduct? Or, if you can be honest with yourself, do you follow them for another reason? I guess the question I'm asking here is, are you drawn to godliness? Friends, it's natural for us to imitate what we love. We hope that the elders and deacons here at Cross and Crown would be this for you. We want to be a church that appoints leaders that love Jesus deeply for those that who know and love Jesus deeply will be more like Jesus. And more importantly, we want you to be more like Jesus so that your faith and love for him may be proven genuine. Those who love Jesus will want to be more like Jesus. Before we close, let's end practically here. Because I just don't want to say value godliness, value godliness, and then let's pray, right? We're going to read chapter 3 again. I'll read it for you. And surely there's one characteristic, there's one virtue, there's one trait where you sort of went, yeah, I probably should deal with that. Oh, let's hide that away. Like, we've moved on. We've read that verse. Let's keep going, right? Let's focus on these other virtues that I sort of do well. If that's you, I, I beg of you to take it to heart. And find someone here at Cross and Crown that could maybe guide you, that could teach you, can walk besides you into godliness. Come talk to um, any of us deacons here. We'll gladly help you. We'll pray with you. We'll work through things with you. And if we're not the best person, maybe, we'll point you to some godly Christians around here. There's like 80, 90 of us, right? Do the math, or don't, don't do the math. So as I read these words, I just want you to hear, and if one characteristic strikes out to you, I want you to just hold that in your heart. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. 
the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, his own life, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Therefore, furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into the disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own household competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I wonder what stuck out to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us and you care for us. Thank you that we're adopted into this family, this church family we can call home. And thank you that you give us brothers and sisters in Christ to support one another as we pursue godliness. Thank you for servants in the church who give up their time, energies, and resources to see your people cared for. I pray, Lord, that you convict our hearts to chase godliness and that we would be known in the world as a family of God who is holy. So help us to do these things, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.